Hey, you guys, Scott Horton here to remind you that it's fun drive time at the Institute right now. We only do this twice a year, but it's got to be done. And I'm proud to do it, too. We've got an incredible crew of the best writers, authors, and podcasters in the libertarian movement. From Jim Bovard, Lori Calhoun, Tom Woods, and Ted Carpenter, to Keith Knight, Kyle Anzalone, Hunter Dorensis, Connor Freeman, and all the rest of the guys. It's the best team around. We've published three books this year. Keith Knight's Voluntarist Handbook, Lori Calhoun's Questioning the COVID Company Line, and Joseph Solis Mullins, The Fake China Threat. And here any day now, we will be publishing Thomas E. Wood's Diary of a Psychosis, Jim Bovard's Last Rites, and Keith Knight's latest, Domestic Imperialism. That makes 13 books so far, with more coming in the new year, including my new one, Provoked, How Washington Started the New Cold War with Russia and the Catastrophe in Ukraine, which, I know, is already overlong and overdue, but I'm working on it, I promise. And which brings me to the point. We don't have a big glass office building in downtown Washington. The money we raise goes straight to payroll and book production costs, and that's about it. The Libertarian Institute is the best bang for your buck in the movement. If you believe in what we're doing, please go to libertarianinstitute.org slash donate for details on how you can help keep us going into the new year and the great kickbacks we offer as well. And we thank you for your support. All right, y'all, welcome to the Scott Horton Show. I'm the director of the Libertarian Institute, editorial director of Antiwar.com, author of the book Fool's Aaron, Time to End the War in Afghanistan, and the brand new Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism. And I've recorded more than 5,500 interviews since 2003, almost all on foreign policy and all available for you at scotthorton.org. You can sign up for the podcast feed there, and the full interview archive is also available at youtube.com. Slash Scott Horton Show. All right, you guys, on the line once again, I've got Joe Metters from the USS Liberty Veterans Association at USSLibertyVeterans.org. Welcome back to the show, Joe. How are you, sir? Excellent. Thanks, Scott. Very happy to have you back on the show again, man. Um, and uh, listen, your subject matter has been brought up quite a bit lately. And I went ahead and bought some books and finally did a deep dive. I watched as many documentaries as I could find. And um, I guess I'm about halfway through three or four different books uh, on the thing. But I have learned so much about the USS Liberty um, that I didn't understand before. Uh, but I okay. wanted to make sure, because I know most people don't have the time to do those kinds of dives, that they could at least hear the real story from people who've been there. And I interviewed James Bamford from the, the author of uh, Puzzle Palace and Body of Secrets a couple of weeks ago about his great journalism on the subject. But I wanted to talk with you again so that um, people can hear it from you, what it was really like and why you think it matters so much and all of that. So um, can we just start with the name, rank and serial number and and what was the liberty and and uh, what year and month did the big controversy go down, and what the hell happened? Go ahead. Sure. I was a uh, signalman on the uh, USS Liberty on June 8th, 1967, when the attack happened. Uh, my uh, general quarters possess, uh, 
position was on the signal bridge, which is the highest level on the ship. It was an open deck. And what we used to do on uh, during general quarters, which started about an hour before the attack, we would go up to the signal bridge and just watch for uh, any uh, contacts, ship contacts, air contacts uh, that uh, were in the area. And there were none. So we, after the general quarters was over, we went down to the pilot house, as a, was our normal routine. And uh, looking at the uh, surface search radar, uh, Lieutenant Painter noticed some uh, high-speed uh, contacts coming in. And we just assumed that they were the low-flying aircraft that uh, uh, were once again coming out to uh, to go fly over us and identify us. So a bunch of us, including myself, went up to the signal bridge to watch what we thought would just be another circling of the ship. And uh, when the aircraft got uh, flew up our starboard side, the right side, and uh, turned uh, to make a left-hand turn to to go uh, across our bow. We noticed that they turned immediately left when they got directly ahead of us and uh, started strafing us. So uh, immediately after that, we all ran down to the pilot house, sounded general quarters, and uh, just waited uh, for the onslaught because uh, we only had 450 caliber machine guns and uh, no uh, uh, gun control that would uh, help us in, in attacking uh, or responding to attacks from aircraft. So uh, after the uh, the aircraft began their attack, they uh, put a rocket or a, or a cannon shell inside each antenna mount, which knocked out our communications capabilities, and uh, at least one or two inside each gun tub, which d d destroyed our defensive capabilities, and in uh, the process killed killed nine of our shipmates. After the attack was the air attack was over, the uh, torpedo boats came in and uh, started firing at us. They claimed that we uh, returned fire, but in fact, uh, Dale Larkins on Mount 51 said that he uh, fired a single shot before his gun jammed. So, uh, in all the excitement of the attack, uh, uh, the Attack last that was lasting uh, at the time over half an hour. Uh, the uh, Israelis claim that uh, that one single shot proved to them that we were a, a uh, an enemy ship, despite uh, having a clearly marked U.S. Navy configuration and uh, and uh, markings on our ship. Torpedo boats came in, circled our ship from very close range. And uh, literally from the stones throw away, they fired upon USS Liberty uh, crewmen who uh, ventured topside to help our wounded shipmates. And uh, the, those who were trapped topside because they couldn't get down below decks because of their wounds. After the uh, torpedo attack, the torpedo boats, some of them mulled around uh, behind us. and. Uh, Lloyd Painter and uh, Glenn Oliphant watched as those torpedo boats deliberately machine gunned life rafts we had dropped over the side in anticipation of uh, abandoning ship, which removed any chance any of us would uh, survive the sinking of our ship. 
We were later to find out that uh, before the torpedo attack and, and during the air attack, we got off a message to uh, the 6th Fleet and they launched aircraft to come to our assistance. And uh, almost immediately after uh, LBJ, president of the U.S., was informed of that, he ordered those re those aircraft recalled because he didn't know how the U.S. Sixth Fleet going up against the IDF would have uh, would affect his uh, chances for uh, re-election. Yeah. Well, so what a story. It's just incredible. It's almost unbelievable for people who are only hearing it for the first time, which is oftentimes, I'm sure, as you know, when you tell this story, it's the first time that people have ever heard of such a thing. It's not that it's a complete and total cover-up from history, but it's certainly not discussed in polite company among the powerful anyway or on TV. I think of like the 1990s I spent watching the Discovery Channel and the Learning Channel. They never did a special on the Liberty, not even Bill Curtis, the great courageous Bill Curtis from Investigative Reports or, you know, any of that. There's a, a virtual blackout of the story. And yet it is such a huge event. And so I guess obviously, well, let's just start with the last thing because I have it right in front of me. And it's the last thing you said is we know uh, from a very credible source of what you just claim there, because we have the quote from Lieutenant Commander David Lewis, who he said that Admiral Lawrence R. Geis told him the story and said, I, I have to tell someone, but don't you tell anyone until after I'm dead. But the truth is that he had told Secretary of Defense McNamara that you want me to call these planes back, I'm going to need a higher authority than you. And that McNamara handed the phone to Johnson and that President Johnson said, you heard him call those planes back. And then it's alleged that he also said, I'm not going to embarrass an ally, explained his reason why ordering this admiral to call the planes. So um, I guess, well, with that, I raise an important question. Can you tell us, Joe, about David Lewis? Should we believe him that Admiral Geist told him that story? Uh, Dave Lewis is, uh, of course, he's passed now, but he was the leader of the, uh, which, what we call the research spaces. Uh, they were the uh, cryptological technicians that uh, that uh, used the, uh, our secret spaces down, down below to uh, monitor any electronic, electromagnetic propagation. And uh, he's been known in his community and within our uh, own organization to be a very reputable and honorable man. So I uh, I wouldn't have the slightest uh, hesitation to uh, believe what he says. Besides, it's been corroborated by somebody who is monitoring the uh, or arranging for the uh, phone call between uh, the White House and the Sixth Fleet. Oh, I didn't know that detail. Um, yeah, and I would say for anyone who watches these documentaries, you will immediately take a shine to David Lewis. This guy is no fool and he's no liar. He's a serious guy. And the way that he claims this story is absolutely believable. Whether, you know, word for word, I don't know if he wrote it down or what, but it's he's not lying, that's for sure. Um, 
And so, but look, I guess anyone here in this for the first time, which I guess that's sort of what I have in mind here, Joe, instead of doing the deepest of dives, maybe would be for people who I assume most people have just never heard of the thing. Um, they would all say, well, it must have just been a big mistake. And how can you, sir, be so sure that the Israelis must have known that this was an American ship that they were attacking that morning? Well, regardless of, uh, in, in my opinion, regardless of whether they uh, it was proven to be an accident or a deliberate attack, you have to look at the actions that the Israelis took when uh, when attacking our ship. They used unmarked aircraft. They jammed our radios on both U.S. Navy and international distress frequencies. They uh, slowly uh, circled our ship from very close range, firing upon uh, U.S.'s Liberty crewmen, and they deliberately machine gunned life rafts. We had uh, dropped over the side in anticipation of abandoning ship. Uh, you can't uh, have an attack of that duration and using those tactics and come away thinking that it was that was just an honor uh, an honest mistake yeah well and now these surveillance flights that had been going on because I, I think the attack didn't start till two in the afternoon and israeli planes had been coming and scoping y'all out i can't remember who it was that said that he smiled and waved at the guy he could see the pilot smiling back at him was how close he was Obviously, like, I don't know, 90-something percent of you guys got white skin and you're wearing mostly U.S. sailor uniforms or maybe you just have your shirts off, it's hot out there, but, you know, probably don't look very much like Egyptians. And we're talking about more than a dozen surveillance flights that morning before the attack ever commenced, right? Plus the attack, uh, that, that's right, plus the attack was led by uh, an Israeli pilot who was so highly regarded that he uh, led the flight to uh, uh, destroy the uh, Syrian uh, nuclear plant a couple of years later. So he wasn't just some uh, flyby jockey that uh, that uh, wasn't experienced. Mm -hmm. um, I think you mean the Iraqi uh, plant at oh, Osirak the there, right? The Iraqi, yeah. it's Iraq, I think, or yeah. whatever. Right, same thing, uh, or same point, though. Um, but yeah, so yeah, that's, that's very important. And, you know, it's, I guess they call this, uh, the argument from authority, a logical fallacy. However, if one were to combine the different people in positions of power from collected first and foremost by James Bamford, when he spoke to so many different sources at the National Security Agency and so forth. But also, if you go ahead, like I do, I collect these footnotes like Matchbox cars, you know, and um, and there are so many officials in charge of the U.S. government at that time who are unequivocal that this had to have been deliberate. So maybe if it was just the Secretary of State, Dean Rusk, or his Undersecretary of State, George Ball, that would be some guy's opinion. But instead, you also have the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. You have virtually all of the leadership of the National Security Agency. You have um, even uh, Helms, the director, Richard Helms, director of the CIA. Um, and which is just amazing to watch him on tape talking about this. Uh, the BBC got an interview with him where he talks about it. And of course, uh, Admiral Thomas Moore, 
and uh, Bobby Ray Inman, who was the deputy director of CIA at the time, and Lieutenant General William Odom, who was, I think, second in charge or third in charge and later became the director of NSA, most famous for denouncing Iraq War II, General Odom. And so um, just from that consensus there, they're saying that, you know, the American people, I guess, have to accept that the Israelis deliberately tried to sink an American warship, although, as you say, a very lightly armed one. Um, but so... I mean, that to me, that almost alone puts it to bed. And they all have their reasons, too. They're not just saying, trust me. They all cite their reasoning, um, uh, most of which includes you guys flying the red, white, and blue and having your name written really big in big black letters on the stern of this Navy gray ship. They couldn't have possibly missed it on a clear blue sky of a day, right? That's right. But uh, from our perspective, we're not asking people to accept our story without uh, investigating it. What we're asking for is to be treated, have the attack on our ship treated exactly the same as the attacks on the Pueblo, the Stark, the Cole, 1983 bombing of the Marine barracks in Beirut. Have it investigated. Submit it to a complete and comprehensive public investigation. And, And... make your uh, decision based upon uh, the findings of that investigation, but they won't do it. We've Even today, if you write to your congressman asking about the attack, he will, in his boilerplate response, he will lie to you by telling you that the U.S. government has investigated it and they have no intention of of conducting another investigation. Mm -hmm. Well, that's an out-and-out lie. The U.S. government has never investigated the attack on our ship. We've gotten an email from the Congressional Research Service who responded to the question, has the U.S. government investigated the attack on our ship? And their result of their investigation is that they cannot find any. Mm -hmm. Right to the the, uh, historians of both the House and Senate, they can't find any evidence of legislation pertaining to an investigation of the attack or an investigation itself. You write to your members of Congress asking for a copy of a congressional investigation. They can't send it to you because it doesn't exist. All we're asking for is an investigation. That's it. Give me just a minute here. At the Libertarian Institute, we publish books, real good ones. So far, we've got Will Griggs' No Quarter, Sheldon Richmond's Coming to Palestine and What Social Animals Owe to Each Other, and four of mine, Fool's Errand, Enough Already, The Great Ron Paul, and my brand new one, Hotter Than the Sun, Time to Abolish Nuclear Weapons. And I'm happy to announce that we've just published our managing editor Keith Knight's first one, The Voluntarist Handbook, an excellent collection of essays by the world's greatest libertarian thinkers and writers, including me. Check them all out at libertarianinstitute.org books. And for a limited time, signed copies of Enough Already and Hotter Than the Sun are available at scotthorton.org books. Hey, guys. I had some wasps in my house, so I shot them to death with my trusty Bug Assault 3.0 model with the improved salt reservoir and bar safety. I don't have a deal with them, but the show does earn a kickback every time you get a Bug Assault or anything else you buy from Amazon.com by way of the link in the right-hand margin on the front page at scotthorton.org. So keep that in mind. 
And don't worry about the mess. Your wife will clean it up. You know, it's legendarily part of this story, Joe, that you guys were all, I mean, threatened. Um, I think it's Phil Turney in one of these documentaries says that Admiral Kidd told him, listen, pal, you'll do life in prison or worse. Do you understand me? In other words, he threatened him with the death penalty if he would ever say a word of this. And I know all of y'all were threatened with at least prison time. If you talked about this with anyone, including each other, your fathers, your priests, whoever. And I, I was very curious because I didn't see this answered in any of these uh, books or documentaries so far, which was how long that state of affairs lasted. When was it that you guys finally, who was it that first broke out, talked about it in public? Were they investigated criminally? Uh, was there, you know, some congressman said something on the House floor and broke the dam open for you? Or when was it and, and under what circumstances were you guys able to finally talk about this in public and not worry about having to go to prison for it? Well, yeah, this is going to be kind of ironic, but uh, every morning at quarters where the uh, the crew musters on the station and uh, they make sure that everybody's there. Every morning at quarters while we're in dry docks in Malta, we were reminded not to talk about the attack. And if we were to talk about the attack ever again, that uh, we would be uh, prosecuted to the full extent of the law and spend a lot of time in prison. Uh, while we were still in Malta dry docks, uh, Dave Lewis, who we spoke about before, got the uh, ear of a, uh, I don't know if it was a AP or UPI writer, in, while we were in Malta, and he he started talking about the attack right then. So uh, we uh, we started, or uh, some of the people who knew more about the attack than uh, than the common uh, uh, sailors started talking immediately. But and the, that just it it uh, made the headlines a few days, and then. Uh, slowly uh, or actually quite quickly moved off of the uh, of the news channels and so at what point did you guys all start coming out in public and speak pardon me speaking and and writing and so forth for me it was the uh, publication of jim Lennis's book assault on the liberty back in uh, it was published in 1979 mm -hmm. and uh, my wife found it in a bookstore ironically she was in the she's a, a voracious reader and she was in a bookstore buying a different book and the uh, on the cash register the uh the cashier pushed the button and up popped uh, uh, a notification of jim ennis's book which she bought and uh, and gave to me and i started reading it and uh, i started uh, telling about the story as well as I could. Mm -hmm. And Back he was also a Navy, he was a sailor veteran of the Liberty with you, right? Yes, he was one of the uh, uh, cryptological officers. He was a lieutenant at the time. Um, all right, so, you know, sorry, I want to go back a little bit and talk about the attack. Um, it's so interesting that um, I think one of the misnomers I've seen uh, out there in the world, Joe, is um, people say, well, the ship was a spy ship. 
So it was disguised. But, and that's somewhat true, but misleadingly, right? Because it was disguised, but it was disguised as a research vessel, but an American Navy research vessel. And it wasn't very well disguised because the thing was just bristling with antenna and was clearly, and they were all, I think Bamford says, maybe even quoting one of you guys. Yeah, they all the antennas were pointing up toward the sky and out to the sides and not down at the ocean floor, that's for sure. So, um, but anyway, it, it should have absolutely been clear. And it is clear that they had identified it. We know from even their admission, the Israeli side, that they had identified it as an American ship all morning long. But they claim that, oops, there was a snafu and a miscommunication that got wiped from the board. And then, so they had to start all over again. But then uh, Lewis... And I guess all different of you guys have talked about how the first thing that that first wave of planes did was target each and every single antenna on the ship, which then you can conclude like must have been what all those surveillance flights were about, was taking a lot of pictures of the ship so that intelligence back at headquarters could figure out exactly how to shut down all the communications as quickly as possible there. Um, and so... Anyway, it's just incredible to me that, well, anyway, I, I just want to emphasize or give people a chance that if they were under that impression, that they understand that it was disguised, but it was disguised as a U.S. Navy ship, just a different kind of U.S. Navy ship. And so that would not be any sort of excuse. And then also on top of that, it sure looks like the Israelis were not fooled whatsoever about just exactly what this ship was and what its mission was as, a, as you said, an NSA spy ship. Plus, the, the Israelis, some Israelis or their partisans claim that uh, we were, the, or their concern was that we were uh, intercepting Israeli communications and transmitting them to the Egyptians. But uh, we'd only arrived there on the fourth day of the war. And uh, what about the actions of the, if that was being done by the U.S. government, what about the actions of the American embassy in Tel Aviv? They had probably uh, transmitters and receivers far more powerful than we had since they were land-based. And uh, why didn't the uh, Israelis attack the uh, attack them or block them? But uh, they took on a ship that had just arrived in the uh, in the area. Mm -hmm. And that's interesting that you bring that up. Um, I had just been made aware of this uh, recently, that there's this book called The Secret War Against the Jews. And I actually read the USS Liberty chapter there. And that's what they say is... It was deliberate, all right, because you treacherous Americans, this is told from leaks from Israeli intelligence, claim the authors, that this is what they're getting from the Israelis. Is you damn right we did it on purpose? Because they weren't spying on the Egyptians, they were spying on us. And they were turning that stuff over to the Egyptians because of what pro-Arab anti-Semites all the State Department was, they said. Which I just thought, you know, I mean, I don't know. I guess they said, in fact... Uh, Joe in there that of course the NSA has to share their product with whoever and that it was men inside the CIA who were the ones who were sharing it so even if that was true like you guys probably wouldn't have any indication of that whatsoever I mean you sailors certainly wouldn't but the NSA guys on the ship wouldn't have any indication of that either if the Egyptians were ultimately their customer for what they were picking up there but that sounds pretty fanciful to me sounds like they're kind of trying to come up with a limited hangout, plausible deniability type story when it's so obvious that it was deliberate that now they need an excuse. So they sort of made that up. 
when pretty clearly Lyndon Johnson, well, I don't know, I guess the CIA could have been undermining Johnson, but President Johnson was clearly in the tank for the Israelis. He would have never betrayed them that way. Yeah, plus the fact that the uh, during the uh, funeral of Ike Kidd, Admiral Ike Kidd, who was the uh, president of the U.S. Navy Court of Inquiry, convened following the attack, uh, the CNO said that, uh, according to uh, Kidd, LBJ didn't want to uh, have the uh, Sixth Fleet go up against the IDF because he didn't know the effect it would have on his re-election possibilities. Yeah, that's really something. And in fact, you know, in one of these documentaries, they talk about, oh, is they have great sourcing on this too. I'm sorry, I forget which documentary it was. I think it might have been the BBC documentary where they talk about how the anti-Vietnam War movement during the 67 Six-Day War all of a sudden went very quiet. And it turned out that this was something that Zionists in D.C. had a lot of leverage over. And they could turn up the dial on anti-Vietnam War protests or not. And this was something that, of course, Johnson was very concerned about as he's deciding whether to run for re-election or not. And so just adding to the idea that he would have been very sensitive to pissing off pro-Israel forces in the United States at that time. It also makes you wonder if that uh, plays into the reasoning of members of Congress who uh, refuse to attend our memorial services and uh, who lie to uh, their constituents who write about the attack. Sure. Uh, who wants that kind of trouble? You know, really? I mean, they just uh, censured this uh, congresswoman uh, for her. They just totally put words in her mouth. Oh, what you're really saying is X, Y, Z, and then censored her for that. And they're going after Thomas Massey because he said a lot of very nice pro-Israel things, but said that I don't think we should be giving them this money that we don't have. We have to borrow to give them in the first place. And they're going after him. They're spending millions of dollars to run ads against him, to do everything they can to go after this congressman. No congressman in their right mind crosses the Israel lobby. Um, they just get germed right out of there, you know? So, um, in fact, I wanted to ask you too, as long as we're jumping around all over the place, my friend, uh, what is the latest from New Hampshire where there is a proposal by, I know a state rep there to do an investigation of this. There is a, uh, resolution calling for, uh, the state to do a, an investigation of the attack and, uh, and, aftermath of the attack and uh, that is scheduled for uh, have to have uh, uh, committee hearings and uh, we've been invited to attend and, and testify about the attack and the effect it has on us even now over 50 years later and which it does have an effect on us still well that's so, uh, really so that's, great that, that's that's still in the works uh, and i i i, I, I uh I wouldn't want to be the uh, member of that legislature, legislature that votes against this resolution. Yeah, it's about time that this thing gets some real attention. Uh, I sure hope that you get your fair hearing there, man, and, and maybe even a real investigation. But um, let me go back to what you said about how much this has affected you, because this is something that I've heard from you guys for a long time. 
And um, I can only imagine, I can not even really imagine what it's like to be strafed and bombed and napalmed and torpedoed like this. I mean, it's just insane, this story of what y'all went through. But I can't help but reflect on the fact, Joe, that if any humans are supposed to be able to take it, it would be you, a fighting age male out of boot camp in the armed forces of your nation state, you know, and in a situation where you could get caught up in a foreign war that you're spying on there. And yet I hear you guys talk about all these decades later, how difficult it's been to carry this burden of the memories of the dreams. And I know, um, you know, all y'all are different guys and with different levels of different problems and things, but some of these guys with terrible drinking problems and family problems and just their lives ruin. Um, and it's, I know it's just been so horrible for you guys, but then I can't help but think of like, look at these poor people in the Gaza Strip right now, where you're talking about men, women, and children who never went through boot camp, never had a drill sergeant scream in their face and somehow, I don't know, desensitize them to that, you know, some kind of chaos and, and, and pain and fear and, and these kinds of things. These are just regular people going through what you guys went through and even worse, even it's just beyond imagination to think because we don't really get to hear from them as much. And, and, and even if we do, we can't identify with them as well. But you could be my uncle, Joe, you know, that was my grandfather's name. He was in the Air Force. You know what I mean? So like, I don't know, I can identify with you guys and I can, but then I can understand how, well, hell, that must be how everybody else feels too. So, I mean, at the risk of picking that scab, can you tell us what it's like to be napalmed? Oh, well, the, the first thing you, you notice in the napalm attack is the hitting of the ship by the, uh, by the napalm and uh, flames going all over the place. My theory about what they were trying to do was to uh, use the napalm to drive everybody below decks. So when the torpedo boats came in and fired, hopefully, uh, in their minds, the five torpedoes of the six available, all the uh, crew would be below decks and not able to uh, to uh, uh, survive the, the sinking of the ship. Yeah. But uh, you were talking about uh, the effect of uh, the cover-up uh, has on the uh, crew members. Well, we're constantly uh, condemned as being anti-Semitic simply for asking for an investigation of the ship. And apparently uh, those people who uh, make that claim uh, think that uh, the Israelis can, can, because they say it, it's true, without, uh, without uh, uh, any question. In fact, if you look at the uh, Jewish virtual library, they'll have on it what they claim are U.S. government investigations of the attack. But if you ask the U.S. government for a copy of the investigations, they can't provide any. Mm -hmm. So why rely on intermediaries uh, to uh, show that the, the attack was investigated when uh, you can go straight to the U.S. government and they can't show it? Mm -hmm. Well, and even Admiral Kidd's pretended investigation, his right-hand man later denounced it and said that he was prevented from doing a thorough job, that, of course, the whole thing was just a cover-up. Plus, the uh, findings of fact was uh, the first one was that uh, the attack was a case of mistaken identity. And uh, 
according to uh, Ward Boston, who is a legal advisor to the court, they were aware to have that finding a fact. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you look at the uh, JAG manual on the co- conduct of uh, courts of inquiry, every finding of fact must, in its, uh, in its text, uh, relate to one specific item and have reference in the finding of fact uh, directly leading you to some place in the court of inquiry record that supports it. Mm-hmm. None of their findings, of fact, have that uh, reference. So my thinking is that that's not the final report. That's just an interim report. Right. And they haven't completely reviewed that. Plus the fact that Lloyd, uh, Lloyd Painter's testimony about his witnessing the, uh, the uh, machine gunning of the life refs was removed from the court record, not redacted, removed. Doesn't appear at all. Yeah. Well, folks, sad to say, they lied us into war. All of them. World War One, World War Two, Korea, Vietnam, Iraq War One, Serbia, Afghanistan, Iraq War Two, Libya, Syria, Yemen. All of them. But now you can get the ebook, All the War Lies, by me for free. Just sign up for the email list at the bottom of the page at scotthorton.org or go to scotthorton.org slash subscribe. Get All the War Lies by me for free. And then you'll never have to believe them again. Hey, y'all, Scott Horton here for the Libertarian Institute at libertarianinstitute.org. I'm the director. Then we've got Sheldon Richmond, Kyle Anzalone, Keith Knight, Lori Calhoun, Jim Bovard, Connor Freeman, Will Porter, Patrick McFarlane, and Tommy Salmons on our staff, writing and podcasting. And we've also got a ton of other great writers, too, like Walter Block, Richard Booth, Boss Spleet, Kim Robinson, and William Van Wagenen. We've published eight books so far, including my latest, Hotter Than the Sun, Time to Abolish Nuclear Weapons, and Keith Knight's new Voluntarist Handbook. And we've got quite a few more great ones coming soon. Check out libertarianinstitute.org slash books. It's a whole new era. We libertarians don't have the power, but we do have enough influence to try to lead the left and the right to make things right. Join us at libertarianinstitute.org. It was just outrageous to find out that they have that life raft on display at the Naval Museum there in Tel Aviv. Are they kidding? Yeah, I, got a picture. I got a picture of the... Uh, the uh... Uh, display that they have, the exhibit that they're in their museum. It's just incredible. Um, so can you talk about the miracle of the, what, four near misses and then this torpedo, which I know did devastating damage and killed many NSA employees and sailors and I think Marines also, but also somehow miraculously did not sink the ship. Can you tell us about what happened there? Sure. The, uh, they fired five torpedoes, four missed, and one hit, uh, luckily, hit a, uh, a support beam, an I-beam, and uh, the torpedo blew up there on the, uh, basically on the surface of the ship. Had it gone through the, and had it, had it missed the uh, I-beam, it would have gone at least halfway through the ship and blown the ship up then. But uh, by the grace of whoever, uh, it hit the uh, the I beam. Um, and then you know something else that they do such a great job of in these documentaries is they let you guys tell the various stories of heroism 
of, you know, those who, uh, you know, rescued others who were trapped down there or, you know, Terry Halbardier, the guy who heroically risked his life and I believe was shot while um, crossing the deck to connect the one antenna so you guys could get your SOS. Um, so do you want to tell that story? Tell a couple of others of your favorites from that day? Because, of course, in a time of crisis like that, you did have guys really heroically pull through for each other, right? Well, the one story that I remember vividly is during the uh, air attack, we were all up on the pilot house. And uh, the captain was walking back and forth. He had a very, very low voice. He never, he never yelled. He never spoke uh, gruffly or anything like that. It was always a low, mellow voice. And he was walking back and forth from the port to the starboard wing of the bridge, asking for a cup of coffee. And that, that's, uh, that's the most, uh, I think that's the most heroic thing that I've ever seen. All these flames and bullets and shrapnel going all over the place. And he was very calmly walking back and forth, asking for a cup of coffee. And I guess he was really trying to set an example for you guys to hold it together, right? Yeah, I'm sure. And he yeah. did. He's, he's one of the uh, only commanding officers that I've known or that I've heard about that uh, people would, uh, if he said jump off the fan tail, we'd all jump off. I mean, we'd follow him to hell and back. And uh, we did. Yeah. Well, now, so I know some of the guys resented him for kind of going along with the cover-up and not really saying anything. I know in the end he did say something about uh, what had happened there, but... Can you talk about that and y'all's relationship with him in the meantime and stuff? Uh, I didn't have a relationship with him after the attack. Um, I, after I got out, I went to, back to school at Oklahoma State University, and I later found that he was uh, in charge of uh, OU's uh, Navy ROTC. I didn't know at the time, and if I had, I would have gone and talked to him about it. But um, he initially said that uh, he thought that the attack was... Uh, was uh, not deliberate, but in uh, 1999, just before he died, he was at a, a memorial service and he came out publicly and said that uh, he'd, he'd, for the longest time, he wanted to think that the attack was was uh, not deliberate, but he uh, had changed his tune and according to the evidence that he'd reviewed, he determined that the attack was deliberate and that it deserves to be investigated. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know, man. I, I don't want to add to it, Joe, but can you talk about the feeling of betrayal here? And I know that you do speak for your other guys, and, and you guys have a very close community of uh, survivors and friends here. Um, about, yeah, not just going through this, but having the people that you're sworn to protect and are sworn to be responsible for your safety, too. Just throwing you guys under the bus like this, and especially for all these years, what that's like as a serviceman. It's not pleasant, uh, to be sure, uh, to say an understatement. But, uh, yeah, it, it bothers us quite a bit that uh, these members of Congress deliberately uh, lie to us. And they won't even, the ones that uh, do uh, speak to us, like like my member of Congress, I had I had visited his office in D.C. once, talked to his uh, chief of staff, 
and she said that he's uh, he's a very patriotic and supports the military. But uh, his position was, what would he tell his uh, colleagues in Congress if he came out today, and uh, or at the time, and uh, supported an investigation? He was more concerned about their reaction than into determining the truth about the attack. He didn't yep. care about us. This is crazy. None of them do. None of them do. Yep. And it's funny too, right? Because on one hand, it's like, even after all these years, they won't fess up to it um, when they should have a long time ago. And then it sort of becomes, oh, why you want to bring up something from so long ago? And now somehow it doesn't matter anymore because so much as time has passed. But it sure matters to a lot of you guys who are still alive. They're just trying to wait you out, I guess. Yeah, they say that they can't investigate it now because they refused to investigate it for over 50 years. Yeah. When, in fact, that's one of the questions we want to have answered. Yeah. Um, well, and it is, it's one of those, it's so stark. They're even, I think, you know, coining this new term, Israel, meaning, you know, like in the Urban Dictionary or something, where it's a lie that's so blatant that they know, that you know, that we all know that, they know that they're lying and they just tell it anyway. And um, this is one of those that's just in their face. And But you will hear from people all the time. I guarantee you when this goes up on YouTube later, Joe, they will automatically append a Wikipedia note. This is attention. The USS Liberty was a big accident. Everybody knows that. And we direct you here to this Wikipedia entry where they conclude such. And it's... um. When it's so preposterous, then again, you know, uh, as I said, you crack open Bamford's book and there's the head of the NSA and the head of the CIA and the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and the Secretary of State all saying, what, are you kidding me? Joe's right. And so who are you going to believe in that circumstance when you're telling me you were flying the flag, your ship was painted gray and it said USS Liberty on the back of it? I mean... I guess I'm supposed to believe this foreign nation state over you, Joe, but it's not really working. The yeah, interesting thing about Wikipedia is many, many years ago when I first found out about the uh, uh, Liberty reference in Wikipedia, I tried to participate in the discussion and, and add to it. And uh, their response was, we don't accept uh, first-person accounts. Right. It has, to come, it has to come from an online source that they deem uh, appropriate or, or relevant. And they won't accept anything from the USS Liberty survivors. Yeah. And which, of course, so I like the way they do that, right? So now, even if you give a speech or somebody interviews you or something, that doesn't count. It has to be, what, like a guy from the Washington Post interviews you and writes about it. Then they'll cite that. But that'll never happen, right. so they won't. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Completely absurd. Um. Well, listen, I don't know. Uh, um, it, I was so sad to see, I guess it was just a couple of years ago that David Lewis died. I know he was one of y'all's great leaders of this movement. And I guess that's just the way it is, is you guys are growing yeah. old. And, and the, the move, yeah, I sure am. You look a little gray in this beard, buddy. Um, but, uh, you know, it's not too late. I know there's still, do you know what the number is exactly? There's still quite a few of you alive. Uh, we have no idea. We, when a lot of the guys haven't contacted us, yeah, and we haven't found haven't found about half of them. I think. Well, that's but, fair. Uh, we can't really criticize them for for not 
looking for us or anything like that or remaining silent because that's, that's how they handle it. And sure. you know, we respect that. Yeah. A lot of times people just want to put something like that completely behind them, but still y'all have a real core of activists, uh, of, among you survivors, um, and, uh, that are still pushing hard for this. And so for people out there listening, this is, you know, it's not just a crazy story you heard. There are people out there who are the victims of this, the survivors of this, and who are working on this and could use your support. Like, for example, with this hearing in New Hampshire coming up and making sure to keep up the pressure on the House there to support these guys and hold this hearing and to defend them from the, you know, obvious and ridiculous false accusations of anti-Semitism and that kind of thing. And be prepared to just Take their position, man. These are proud American sailors. They were done wrong, and they deserve an uh, honest investigation and the truth of it all um, for their own sake and for the rest of our sake, too, for the sake of our the, the truth about our nation's relationship with that nation. Um, but I think most importantly for you guys, for what you've been through and the truth that you deserve to have there. And, of course, you know, journalism can do a lot. James Bamford got some great leaks and some great interviews, but it takes a real congressional committee with real subpoena power to force those agencies and departments to turn over the real documents and the real truth behind the thing. The level of, of reality in the as yet unrevealed documents on the case of the USS Liberty um, must be a chasm worth of of documents and and of things we need to know and that especially you guys deserve to know so that's a, a call for all you in the audience who know about this and care about this um who want to help support uh, tell them joe about your website and about your group uh, uss liberty veterans association our website is uh, uss liberty veterans.org o-r-g and uh, if you want to help us Go to USSLiberty.com and you'll be redirected to a donations page so we can collect funds for uh, expenses to attend the the hearing. Plus, at that same site uh, is a copy of uh, Jocko Willink's two or three hour interview with three of us uh, uh, about the liberty. Yeah. That's USSLiberty.com. That's great. Yeah, USSLiberty.com there. And and the Jocko interview, of course, is great because he's a Navy guy. And and obviously, you know, being a SEAL is very experienced and and uh, and did a, a really great and sincere interview with you guys. And I was lucky to interview, what, two of the three of you the next day uh, out there in San Diego after that. But I, I, hi, anyone can find that in the archives there at scotthorton.org. But I also highly recommend that interview with Jocko, um, on unraveling or no, it's on the Jocko podcast. Uh, it's just fantastic and, and hugely important and must've been heard on military bases all over the world. Right. So, you know, uh, it's interesting to think about what the reaction has been even if we don't get to see it surface publicly there that must have generated so much discussion you know so it's hard to it's hard to determine the uh, how much action it generates more or over uh, just uh, watching it and then uh, going back to your copy yeah well i don't know i think it's a pretty unforgettable story from the 
first time I ever heard it. I went, what? That happened? And I didn't know about it? <laughs> so, you know what I mean? I know people react to it the same way as me. It's just completely bananas. And then LBJ is such a perfect villain to be in the White House at the time, to be the one twisting the knife in y'all's back and everything, that it's just, it's an incredible story, an incredible mm -hmm. story. So uh, interesting in its own right. You know, there's a, one of these documentaries that I watched, Joe, was by a historian from one of these professional military universities, naval war colleges, some kind of thing. Like, this guy is no kind of partisan. If he's a partisan at all, he's a partisan for the Department of Defense and its people. You know what I mean? Like, this is a guy who is, this is his culture. He is the, the culture of, I think, even the Navy. Maybe he was an Air Force guy, but I think he was even a Navy guy. And so there's just no ideological bent here. This is an officer talking and he's doing or I, presumably he was. A, I'm pretty sure he must have been an ex-officer, a retired officer who's doing this documentary and explaining what happened. And boy, he wasn't buying the lies one bit. He was straightened to the point. It could have been you telling the story as far as what really happened there. And you can tell he ain't happy about it at all either. But it's the kind of thing that no one could dismiss. You know what I mean? Someone might say that. Oh, poor Joe is under the influence of somebody made him believe something or some kind of thing like this, but which is BS, of course. But I'm just saying they might tell themselves that, but they couldn't tell themselves that about this one documentary. So I have it here in my notes. I forgot which one it was. The I think it's the spy ship left out in the cold. I think. Yeah, it is. USNI.org. Uh, the Naval History Magazine. The spy ship left out in the cold, and it's absolutely as critical as any of the best of them. And as told by just a U.S. military historian, uh, you just couldn't say if the worst critic of y'all's point of view couldn't say anything to this. You know what I mean? There's no speculation. There's no jumps to conclusion here. There's no unfairness toward Israel here. This is just absolutely Joe Friday, the facts. And now what? You know? So I think it's very, very impressive and and and. And it really should raise questions in the mind of, of the American people about their government and then especially our relationship with Israel as well. Well, I hope so. Yeah. Um, and they, it should raise uh, questions about uh, members of Congress and their relationship to, uh, to the military. Yeah, that's right. I mean, yeah, the whole internal dynamic there, right, between the enlisted and the officers and the Congress and the loyalties here, it's really an incredible thing to have so many people killed, 34 killed, more than 100 wounded, what, 130 wounded? Um, 174 so far. 174 so far, God. So, um, yeah, I, I, the dynamic there, the... The resentments that must be carried through in the Navy, even to this day, even if they're buried, they must still be there, right? Yeah, but our resentments to the U.S. government, not to Israel. Right. Uh, and, yeah, and for very good reason. Well, it could be both. <laughs> but, uh, but um Man, yeah, what a story. Well, anyway, look, I, I hope, uh, I, I know I didn't give you a chance to really give justice to the thing here, Joe, um, my fault, but I hope we got people interested in it. We have, there's a ton of great books out there about it that people can read and including, uh, you know, I like especially James Bamford's Body of Secrets has a great chapter on it. And then, um, as you said, I'm sorry, what was the, the exact title of Ennis's book again? Uh, uh, a 
Assault on the Liberty. Assault on the Liberty, correct. Right. It's on, and, it's on, uh, it's on uh, Amazon. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. And then uh, BBC has a great documentary about this. True TV has one called Surviving Liberty is another, what, three, four-part documentary. Al Jazeera. SacrificingLiberty.org. Sacrificing Liberty. Thank you. I'm so sorry I got that wrong. SacrificingLiberty.org for that one. I think it's Oregon. might be calm. And then the spy ship left out in the cold. That was the uh, U.S. Naval History uh, Magazine one. I think there were two by the BBC, actually. Anyway, so people could just, you know, spend a weekend watching documentaries about this. And then if you're really into it, uh, go to Amazon. And there are quite a few books about it as well. So, um, you know, wouldn't it be great if we just had a society full of people who knew all about this and wanted to tell other people about it all the time? I think so. That'd be great. Yeah, man. Well, listen, the best of luck to you and to all the guys, Joe, I especially on this New Hampshire thing. Oh, let, let's end on that. Um, do you have a name for us? Who do we contact? What do we do to help support you guys uh, in this upcoming uh, hearing that we hope we get here in New Hampshire? Uh, if you want to help us financially, go to USSLiberty.com and you'll be rede- redirected to our donations page. Great. Plus the uh, Jocko Wellink uh, interview is on the same page. Great. And then for New Hampshire folk, uh, you know, look them up. What Do you know the name of the congressman who's uh, spearheading this? I Jason, know the guy. I Jason, forgot his name, though. Jason Gearhart. Jason Gearhart. Okay, great. So um, people can look him up, and uh, and especially if you live in New Hampshire, pressure your own representatives hey, politely to help support this effort. Of course, effort. always polite. Yeah. Okay. Well, listen, thank you so much for coming back on the show, Joe. It's great to talk to you again, and I wish you the best of luck, sir. Thanks so much. Absolutely. We'll talk to you later. Okay. Talk soon. Bye. Bye. The Scott Horton Show, Anti-War Radio, can be heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, APSradio.com, Antiwar.com, ScottHorton.org, and LibertarianInstitute.org.